This morning, we're going to conclude our study of the book of Habakkuk. And I've got to be honest with you. It's almost like you go to your bookshelf and you look and you see a book that you have not looked at in quite some time. And you pull it off the shelf and you begin to read and you realize that as you read along the contents of that book, you say, oh, there's so much here. I wonder why I haven't picked this book up sooner. I wonder why I haven't read it and studied it more intently. The book of Habakkuk, in my opinion, is a very valuable book for those of us who are trying to serve the Lord today. By way of introduction for our lesson this morning, I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment or two the state of mind which you have after someone lectures you for doing something wrong. I'd like for you to think, for instance, maybe a parent. You've done something wrong, you've said something wrong, and your parent calls you and says, I want you to come here, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a talk. And as you have that talk, you begin to tremble because you realize you've done wrong and you're fearful of the punishment. I don't know how many of you have ever been stopped by a policeman for perhaps speeding or in rolling through a stop or something such as that. The policeman comes to your window and says, I need your license and registration, please. And you're sitting there and you're trembling because you're somewhat fearful of what you have done wrong. Or imagine some of you, I know for some of you it's been such a long time since you've been in school, but uh, a few of us were called into the principal's office and uh, you imagine you're sitting there, you're getting the lecture, and when you finish, you're still trembling. That's exactly what Habakkuk was doing after he had heard the message of God in chapters 1 and chapter 2 as God corrected him. You see, in chapter 1, he was troubled because he looked and he saw all of the sin among God's people and wondered why God was not doing something about it. And God said, I am doing something about it. You're just unaware of it, Habakkuk. I'm raising up a bitter and hasty people called the Chaldeans, and they are going to bring about my punishment on my people. And then in chapter 2, Habakkuk responds by saying, God, I realize you're going to correct me and... You tell me where I have gone wrong and what I have done that I ought not to have done, and I'll listen and I'll learn. The very last verse of chapter 2 is so profound. Habakkuk said, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. God is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. He recognized God is in control and God knows what he's doing and each of us should be careful about what we say or how we react to God's plans. This morning we're going to look at three things in chapter 3. I really want to encourage you, if you do not have your own personal Bible, to take one of the few Bibles. This is very valuable for chapter 3. This chapter is a prayer. 
And the first thing we're going to look at is the structure of it, being a prayer and how it is presented to us. Number two, we're going to look at the substance, what is said. Verses 2 through 19 will tell us how he prays to God and what he says to God. And then finally, the significance is where we begin to apply what we have learned. Let's begin with the structure. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet and Shigianoth. I know that's one of those big words there. We've got to talk about it. It's a prayer. It's where he pours out his heart to God and he says, God, here's what I see. Here's who I perceive you to be. Here's how you're working in the affairs of men, just like you and I would offer a prayer to God. But the truth is, in the Bible, some of the prayers were set to music. They became songs. Let me illustrate it to you. Back in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up your countenance and give you peace. And I know some of you are saying, we sing that song. You see, sometimes there are portions of scriptures meant to be sung. And such is the case here. Because it is meant to be sung, it's in poetic form. Being in poetic form means that it's not written like a letter, like Paul would write Timothy or write the church at Corinth. It's not written in law code like Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's written in poetry. And I want you to see it's written with trembling. Look with me again at verse 2, and we're also going to look at verse 16. He says, O Lord, you have, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. Notice that he says, I was afraid. But even plainer in verse 16. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness has entered my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes upon the people, up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. He said, God, I am trembling. My voice quivers when I speak. You see, the prayer is like a person praying to God and they're so fearful in their response. Have you ever been so intense in your prayers, so moved emotionally it was hard for you to express the words to the Lord? Well, let me point out to you that you look at this section and you see there are some musical notations. For those of you who read music, you will notice that many times in our songbooks there will be a little abbreviation called R-I-T. 
which is to retard, which means to slow down. There are other that are in other indications of how it is to be sung, whether it is to be sung loud or softly. And you don't sing every song the same. For instance, when we sing, Our God, He is alive, we have a lot of enthusiasm behind that. But when we sing, Night with ebon pinion, brooded o'er the veil, all around was darkness, save the night winds well, you don't sing that with that same kind of gusto because it's dark. It's dreary. It's a different type of song. The word shigianoth is a transliterated Hebrew word. That is, it wasn't translated. They just took the Hebrew letters and turned them into English. The root word means to reel or stagger as a person... Like, for instance, you tell someone bad news, and when they hear the bad news, their legs become weak, and they begin to crumble, and they're not able to walk easily. This is an indication that this is a song sung in lamentation. It's dark. It's sad. David used it at the heading of the psalm, in Psalm 7, a meditation or a shigianoth of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. We don't know all the background behind some of those, but we do know that some were sung. So this means it is dark. It is sad. It indicates one who's trembling. Then the word that you're going to observe as we read through this chapter is one which I'm sure you've seen many times reading the book of Psalms. I've seen brethren really confused when they get to this portion of Psalms. They see the word selah. What does selah mean? It means to pause. Like, for instance, a person who is singing a song and we were singing the song, Hallelujah! What a Savior. You pause to allow the thought to sink in and to make a point. Whenever you see Selah here, these are musical notations it says to pause. You get to verse 19 and he talks about the chief musician. Habakkuk writes, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me walk on the high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. This is how they were to sing this song, this prayer in the Old Testament. I just wanted to bring that out so you could understand that this is a prayer. It was meant to be sung. But then you get to the substance. And you see, whenever you read poetry, poetry has meaning. Uh, I've never been a person who is really devoted to reading a lot of poetry. Many people are. But I do understand that poetry has meaning, and the way that you express meaning is the use of well-known people, places, events, things. Let me give you a real, what I think is great illustration of biblical poetry from the book of Song of Solomon. I rarely use Song of Solomon, so this is a really good illustration of it. Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terza. 
lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which they have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins, and none is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples between your veil. And you say, wow, that's using a lot of flowery language. It is. That's what poetry is. When he said, you're as beautiful as Terza, most of us are saying, who's Terza? Terza is the name of a beautiful city. Lovely is Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city known for its beauty. But then notice he says, as awesome as an army with banners. You think of a parade where your military people are going through and they're carrying these big, beautiful banners. That's the illustration that Solomon is attempting to put in the Song of Solomon. When we read Habakkuk chapter 3, he's going to use those same sorts of illustrations, parallels to things that they knew and understood. So let's now look and see what we see in this prayer and song. One of the first things we see is deliverance. Deliverance of God's people. Look with me at verses 3 and 4 and 13. God came from Teman. The Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand and there His power was hidden. Now before I go to verse 13, notice carefully there how He uses these figures. Verse 13 you went forth for salvation of your people, for salvation of your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. Selah. Now, Teman was Edom. Paran, same general area. But it's the area in which the children of Israel were led into the promised land by Moses. It's that direction by which they came. You see, if we're not focused in on the illustrations, sometimes we miss them. But what he is referring back to is God leading the people into the promised land and how he delivered them. For us, we see Teman and Paran, and we don't think anything, but for them, you mentioned those cities, and they stand out in their minds as cities by which, and areas by which God led his people. Psalm 68, verse 7. O oh God, when you went before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah. Psalm 106, verse 9, He rebuked the Red Sea also and dried it up, so He led them through the depths as through the wilderness God's leading His people. But you see verse 13, I think has a, a message that's easy to pass over if you don't grasp it. And that was, He was saving this people so He could bring His anointed. 
The anointed is Jesus Christ. That's what it means to say he's the Messiah, that he's the Christ. God preserved Judah so he could bring Jesus into the world. Second thing that you're going to notice is destruction, doom, and despair. Now, it's a rather long reading from verses 5 to 16, but I want you to look how God's wrath, which is going to be expressed upon the Chaldeans, was given to us in such figurative language. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of the Cushan afflicted. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun, the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light your arrows they were went. At the shining of your glittering spear you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to the next, Selah. You thrust through with your, his own arrows the head of the villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like the feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heaps of great waters. When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade with his troops. I thought about spending some time here explaining all the figures, but I don't think that's necessary. You see the pictures of pestilence, fever. You see the kind of suffering. That, then you'll see the, the mountains, the rivers, the waters. And you perceive that God is talking about how He is invading the land and using all these wonderful figures of speech and what it produced. And you saw doom, destruction, and despair. But the third thing that you're going to see is delight and devotion. You see, not only do you see God's plans working, but you see an appreciation for God's plan. Notice chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. 
Now, folks, pause with me for just a minute and realize the gravity of what he said. There's no food in the cupboard. There's no animals in the field. There's nothing there to be enjoyed. Verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And He will make me to walk on my high heels. Wow. What devotion. That reminds me of what Job says in Job 13 verse 15. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Psalm 119 verse 6, 7 and 67. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Hebrews 12, verse 11, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit in those who have been trained by it. You see, Habakkuk says, come what may, I am devoted to my God. Now, for just a few minutes, and there will be few, I want to explore with you the significance of this. Oh, we turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. We read it. You've heard what has been read. What does that really mean? When you get up and leave the auditorium and you get ready to go to class and you leave church today, what will this lesson say to you from God's Word, well, I'm going to suggest three things that you ought to leave with. Number one is some maturity. Some maturity. You know, the truth is Habakkuk began to question why God was doing what God was doing. He allowed God to teach him, and by the time you get to chapter 3, you see him maturing. Let me ask you adults this question. When you were 16 years old, how smart were your parents? I'll tell you what I thought. They were dumb as a rock. I thought, I can't believe these people have, out, have lived this long with this little of understanding. When you got to be 25, what happened? Wow, it's amazing how smart they became. And then when you get older, the more that you look back, you say, wow, I can't believe how brilliant they were. You know what's happened to you? You've matured. What you see in the book of Habakkuk is the maturity of Habakkuk. To the point he says, by the time you get to the end, about the same thing that Paul does in Romans 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul says, I marvel at the way God's plan has been designed. When you get to the end of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's marveling, praying about it. 
what great things God has done. Maturity. Second significant lesson that I think we ought to walk away with is a realistic expectation. What are you really looking for from God? Are you looking for all of the wonderful, good blessings? Oh, Lord, I'd like to have a new car. Oh, Lord, I'd like to have a new house. I'd like to have plenty of money. I'd like this. I'd like that. Do you realize what we're doing? We're treating God as if all we want from Him are just the cookies and ice cream. And that's a very immature view in and of itself. You know, God's blessings are sometimes found in His correction. Let me go back to that maturity question. When you were 14 years old and your parents were really working you hard, what did you think about them? Do you think that was a blessing or do you think that was a curse? I remember thinking my daddy ought to be named Pharaoh because he was a heavy taskmaster. I really believe that. I'm extremely thankful for it now. You see, the blessings of God are not always the things we call good, fun, enjoyable, pleasurable I want you to listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed and striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Do not be discouraged. Don't despise, verse 5. Why does God discipline? He wants to make us better people. That's a blessing. Every correction that you got that was given because your parents loved you was a blessing. When you study the book of Habakkuk, realize that corrections are blessings. That's a realistic expectation. Don't look at everything that God gives as cookies and ice cream. Number three is respect for the character of God. You see, as you study through the book of Habakkuk, in the beginning Habakkuk really believed that he knew the way God ought to act. By the time he gets to chapter 3, he not only knows God knows more than he does, he respects the character of God. He understands that God does things much differently than sometimes we expect him to. Again, going back to Romans 11, this time to verse 22, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. 
Habakkuk realized there's two sides to the nature of God. There is the good side that the good people get to enjoy. But folks, never miss the fact that there is a God of wrath, a God of justice, a God who will punish even his own people who do wrong, and he definitely will punish those people who refuse to do right. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look on him who is of a poor and a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Wow, what a thought. Respect for God to the point that we tremble at His Word. When you pick up the Bible, it's not like reading William Shakespeare. It's not like reading today's newspaper. That's God's Word, and at God's Word, we stand and we tremble because we recognize God is God and we are not. Now let me bring all this together. Habakkuk started his book questioning God. He finished it with an unquestioned faith. I trust God. Humble submission to the will of God. I appreciated Brother Mike's prayer as he ended. We humbly offer this prayer to our Father. Folks, we need to be the kind of people who recognize God's authority, His sovereignty, and we bow before Him. Will you give God your complete devotion and service? You see, we're going to sing an invitation song. And the purpose of the invitation song is to invite for the Lord. It's His invitation. But those of us who are here and we're not Christians, it's time to say, I need to commit my life to the Lord. It's time to offer the Lord that devotion that is due to Him. You repent of your sins, you confess that faith, and be baptized. If you're here and you're one of God's children, and you've been walking contrary to God, you've been living your own life rather than His, it's time to be restored. Would you come while together we stand and sing?